This is the Place for a Purpose podcast. We want to help you live out what Jesus said was the most important thing you could do with your life. Love God and love your neighbor, including your next door neighbors. So we're going to keep neighboring on your mind by encouraging you with practical ways to connect with those next door so you can live knowing you've been placed for a purpose because your address is not an accident and neither is your neighbor's. Welcome to the Place for a Purpose podcast. We are your hosts, Elizabeth and Chris McKinney, and we are so excited for this conversation about conversations today with Dr. Heather Holloman. She is an associate teaching professor at Penn State and has won lots of awards, written lots of books, including this one we're going to talk about today, The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility, She's also written a book that has had an impact on both of us Mm -hmm. called Seated with Christ, which we're going to touch on, and Sent, which I love the subtitle, Living a Life That Invites Others to Jesus. Heather serves with Faculty Commons alongside her husband, Ashley, in the graduate student ministry of Crew, has two daughters, three cats, and a podcast called The Verb. So welcome, Dr. Heather Holloman. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Before we get into the six conversations, the book Seated with Christ, it was probably five years ago. We were switching to trying to figure out if we could do this neighboring thing full time. We're doing a sabbatical and we had this book recommended to us. And so we we read it and in both different locations, she was on campus at Mizzou where we did campus ministry and I was in a coffee shop, but the book really ministered to us, that passage in Ephesians. And then when we got to the end, we were like, and she neighbors. This is our purse. Does anybody else do this? Is trying anything? And you did. And it was just such a huge encouragement for us as we were kind of thinking, can we do this full time, like help people neighbor? Are people even trying to love their neighbors? And right there in Seated with Christ, you shared some great neighboring stories. It was really fun and encouraging to us. Oh, I'm so glad. That sounds like perfect timing. I love stories like that, where a book crosses your path at just the right time. God is so good with his timing. Yes. So we want to definitely get into neighboring. We wanted to flavor the entire conversation, but we do want to start with the book, Six Conversations. There's so much good stuff in the book. Well, and actually, as we were reading the reviews on Amazon to get your bio, the first review said best book in the world or something like that. And then the second (laughs) one said gold. I was like, yeah, this is gold. This is pretty much gold. Praise God for good Amazon reviews. That always that doesn't always happen. <laughs> so Very that's true. good that you saw some good reviews. Very true. So a lot of good stuff in there. But I think the foundation of the book is the six conversation, the pathways to conversation, and then the four mindsets that you need yes. in order to engage in those conversations well. So could you start by unpacking those four mindsets and then the different six conversations we could have with people? Yes. And what I love is if you like, if you're trying to be a good neighbor, what I realized is people on my street here in Pennsylvania, you know, we all come from different political positions, different ideas about social issues. I mean, we just have so much diversity of viewpoint on our street. And so what I realized is, as I was doing all the research about how to have loving connections, it doesn't matter how much training you have, you have to have the right mindsets to connect to people. And the four mindsets are you have to be curious about their lives believe the best about them instead of judging and hating them for who they voted for or what they believe. That's hard for some of us. Yeah, You have to express concern and share your life. And the research terms for those are, you know, interpersonal curiosity, unconditional positive regard, 
you know, investment and, you know, concern. And so what I just loved reading all the social science research that if one of those mindsets is missing, you're not going to have a loving connection. And they're very biblical, which surprised me that all the social science research is, we already see this in Philippians 2, Romans 12, Galatians 6, it's all there. So do you have a favorite of the four mindsets? Oh, 100% curiosity. I teach my students that it's the number one professional development skill because when you're curious about other people, it's so loving. It's a way to enact the biblical wisdom of taking on the interest of others, carrying their burdens, rejoicing with them, weeping with them. But how do you know to do that if you don't ask really good questions about people's lives? And I ask my students, how many of you have been on a date and the guy did not ask you one question about your life? (laughs) Or how many of you went home for the holiday and your parents did not ask you one meaningful question? So it's missing from the culture. I would love a revival in just curiosity. I love the language of unconditional positive regard. And I know you stole that. You said you stole that from, was it Carl Jung? Yes, that's a classic psychology term. Is that your favorite mindset, Elizabeth? I love that because we talk about loving our neighbors. There's also the aspect of liking them. That gave me language to say unconditional positive regard. It's basically enjoying them. And people can tell if they're being enjoyed. Yes, and young people can tell immediately if you're judging them or suspicious about them. And, you know, when I talk to people and I say, okay, what's the first thing going through your mind when you meet a new person? What I was noticing in the culture is people were like, what do you believe about vaccines? What was your position on Roe v. Wade? You know, who did you vote for? But when you have unconditional positive regard and you're believing the best, instead of that, you're thinking, this person is a treasure. They have infinite value. They can teach me something about God that I wouldn't have known otherwise. They have, there's a reason why God put them on my street. There's a reason why we're talking right now. It's really like a sacred, powerful moment to change your mind about having unconditional positive regard. And it's Romans 12. Outdo one another in showing honor. Bless those who persecute you. So I love that mindset, but curiosity is still my favorite. But I love that that's your favorite. Well, and you said even imagining that that person would one day become a world leader, how would that change (laughs) how you view them now? And yet they are a treasure. They do have great worth now. Created in God's image. Yeah. I mean, I think we do show favoritism in the culture. There's a lot of classism. There's a lot of like, if you think of someone in your life who you don't think is worthy of your attention, that's why I put that in the book. What if they were secretly going to be you know, a celebrity or the president of the United States, you would treat them differently. Yeah, right. that's great. So the six different types of conversations that we can have or the types of questions we can ask our neighbors, what are those that you list off? Well, there are really six pathways about how to be curious about other people. And it's rooted in the six dimensions of being human. So when you think about people this way, you're never going to get lost starting or continuing a conversation again for the rest of your life, which is so exciting. So the six categories... Every time you see someone, you got to think to yourself, they're social, they have friends, they're physical, meaning they have like physical spaces around them, bodies, emotional, they're cognitive, meaning everyone's thinking about something. They're volitional, which is a fancy word for human agency. They're making decisions and they're spiritual. So when I present this to people, I say like, when I see you, I don't have to say, how are you? That's an emotional category with a really weak verb. Like if I, if we were to be out to coffee instead of that, like Chris and Elizabeth, I might say, hey, guys, I'm really glad to get to know you. Tell me about your friends. Who do you spend time with? Or 
tell me about your house. Are you making any home improvements? That's the physical. Or I could, my favorite question is the cognitive. Like if I hadn't seen you in a while, I'd say, okay, Chris, what have you been thinking about lately? Because mm. I'm an academic. So I love it when people say, what have you been thinking about lately? So it just gives people categories to start. And then you have endless combinations of questions you can ask based on those categories. So if I said like, you know, sports are huge here. If I said, are you going to the football game next weekend? And my neighbor says, yes. I have six pathways of questions. I could say, well, who are you going with? That's social. How did you decide to get season tickets? Volitional. Hey, what do you think about the new coach? Cognitive. See what I mean? It's so easy. So in a previous episode, we were talking about the cultural story of neighboring and how it can feel wrong or even awkward kind of pushing back against some of the cultural currents with our neighbors that tell us to leave our neighbors alone. And so what would you say to the person who worries that I'm going to ask too many questions and get too personal with my neighbor? Well, there are two ways you can go about it. The first is to read the Surgeon General's report on the epidemic of loneliness. It's far better to risk being awkward than to be damaging your health, your emotional, physical, and mental health, a spiritual health by not engaging in conversation. So that's one avenue is this is bad for your health to be alone and not asking questions. The second avenue is I love the research coming out of the Yale Relationship Lab that even if you ask people sensitive or inappropriate questions, they end up liking you more. Take the risk. People do not think it's awkward. Like if I said to you, Elizabeth, I'm going to ask you a question, but it's probably totally inappropriate and awkward. You actually enjoy that. The studies show it releases dopamine in your brain. You'd be like, what is it? So I don't know why people are afraid of crossing those boundaries. I would say take the risk. It's going to improve your physical health to connect with your neighbors. You're going to see God really working when you take those risks to ask questions. People like personal questions. Even if it feels awkward, the research shows they'll end up liking you more. Yeah, I remember reading it in your book. You talked about how under some kind of brain scan, right, when you get asked a question, the part of your brain that is associated to pleasure and happiness lights up when you're asked a question. So even if you ask a personal question that they may not want to answer in the moment, you're still blessing them by asking them a question. And that's a good thing. That's a way to love your neighbor, even if it may be that they aren't ready to answer that question uh, in that moment. Yeah. It's called a closeness enhancing behavior. You can't go wrong and do it by faith. If you're scared out of your mind, do it by faith. That's what my husband does because he's an introvert. He's sort of proof of concept for this book. He does this. He goes out, he trusts God and just engages all the neighbors. He's having lunch today with the guy across the street. He's already set up some dinners with some people, but he has to do it by faith. Yeah. Well, I'm also married to an introvert, Heather, so I, yes, I got we you. we got to hang out. This is why I like you guys. I'm like, I should get Ash down here. He should be on this podcast. Yes, he should. Yes, well, I'll have I know. To, we'll get him next, next time. time. Next time. We'll do an introvert to neighbor also podcast with Ash and me. Believe it or not, we do a lot of consulting with churches and we do this presentation on the six conversations, but... Usually I'm the one getting lots of attention. People are like, oh, we want Heather to speak. No, everyone's like, we need Ash up there (laughs) because half of most of us are introverts. We do not want to share our faith. We don't want to invite people to dinner and they want Ash to share. And he's always getting the Q&A about, okay, I don't want to do this. This isn't my personality. What do I do? So yeah, love that. So with the loneliness research, you have a lot of good stuff in your book. We've kind of tried to delve into that a little bit. Was there anything as you've looked at or anything new that has surprised you or that you are thinking about as it relates to 
maybe saddened you? Well, yeah, the research, I just read the collegiate, the mental health, you know, every year they do like the collegiate findings on mental health on the college campuses. And it's just worse and worse and worse. And what I love is the number one protective factor for depression, anxiety, people with trauma backgrounds is warm connections and belonging. So it's really a ministry. If you're like, well, I don't know what God's plan is for me. What's my purpose in life? Man, being someone who creates belonging is such a beautiful part of your personal mission statement. Just God, help me be someone who gathers people, who helps people experience the relational aspects of God. It relates, reflects his character when you're someone who creates belonging and rich community. Have you experienced that in your own neighborhood? I know you have, but... Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, here's the thing. I didn't even know it was missing. I remember the exact day I had launched this neighborhood walk to school campaign where we would walk a mile to school and back. We dropped the kids off, walk back with the parents. I started to do it several months in. I'm walking down the street. It was a fall day. And my heart, it's like it exploded with joy and peace. And I looked around at these neighbors and I was like, is this what I've been missing? This belonging to a neighborhood? It brought so... I don't know how to describe it. It was like the most joyful sort of like, okay, this is what you're made for. It's not good to be alone. You're actually made to connect with people. We also have a walking school bus, so the connections are just... How old are your kids? We have two in middle school, and so they need to take the bus now or we drive them. But our elementary school girls, we have four daughters. You have two daughters. I do. So we also have the daughter connection. But our elementary daughters, June and Annie, are fourth and third, and they still walk to school every day. So no, I love it. I love it. It's so fun. And most of my spiritual conversations and talking about Jesus actually happened on that walk to school with the parents because I would just talk to them about like what I read in the Bible that morning or I pretended like they were already Christians and I asked them. It was just such a delightful time to see God work and as you take a walk with someone. So you mentioned the warm connection. And so as an introvert, it's fun to think about being able to push back against the loneliness epidemic by asking some questions, trying to make a connection. How would you define a warm connection? Like, is it even just asking about, you know, how did you decide to get those football tickets and you have a short conversation? Yeah. Or is there something beyond that you kind of build up to? And then it's like, now we're in the realm of warm connections. Well, what I loved is the realm of warm connection is when you're with someone and you feel curious about them you are believing the best about them. It's those four mindsets. And then here's where I personally think the warm connection happens, but I don't have like a research study about like, when does it actually happen? It's that mutual investment. When you start to express concern about their life as if their life is somehow tied up in your life. So for example, my friend Stephanie called this morning. She's the engineer that's featured in that book so many times. She actually called me on the phone this morning and she's like, okay, what is going on with that one class you're teaching? You feel that warm connection because I told her last week, I'm nervous about this one class. Or like when you are talking to someone and they say, yeah, like say, for example, you're talking about the football game and they mentioned to you that they're having knee surgery, for example. And I say to my neighbor, okay, how are you going to handle sitting on the stands with your knee? What's going on with your knee? You feel a warm connection. Like I'm with you in this. We are mutually invested in one another's lives. That's where it happens for me, the mutual investment. Like when someone cares about what happens to me, that's when I get it. What about you guys? Have you felt like you're talking and then someone says, you know, how are your kids doing in middle school? Don't you start to feel a warm connection when they ask about something you're concerned about? Oh, yeah. Something that's just one step deeper 
about my life or how I'm feeling, you instantly feel cared for and bonded. Well, and you were saying as we were going through the book again, how as an introvert, you don't usually enjoy small talk because it feels like a waste of time. Right. But reading through your book, it gave meaning to small talk. So we were like, we could also title this Making Small Talk Meaningful. Well, I don't love small talk because I'm such like a abstract ideas person. And so what I love about what you guys are saying is it's not that difficult to quickly go deep, especially if you think about your job. Like when you think about the three fresh goals of conversation, like encouragement, helping people with their personal goals, leading them to marveling. Sometimes when I'm talking to someone, my next question after it's like, hey, who have you been spending time with? I'll say, well, I really want to be a good friend to you. Tell me some of your major stressors. Like what's the major stressor going on with your family? Because I keep a detailed prayer journal. I'd love to pray about this. So Ash and I were sitting out in the Adirondack chairs, which I love, which we can talk about my front yard Adirondack chairs. (laughs) Everyone comes by. But immediately when I was like, hey, what's happening? Whatever with this neighbor. Immediately I was like, tell me what's going on. What's been stressing you out lately? And we talked for like 45 minutes about an upcoming surgery he had. I love asking that question. What are your major stressors this week? That's really good. And then you can add in, because I'd love to pray for you. And then that opens the door then for a little spiritual, because they might be like, that would be amazing. Or if they kind of give you a little bit of like, okay, you at least know, like, okay, we know where we're at. They're thinking about this idea of prayer, but what a great little introduction into a spiritual conversation potentially. Well, nobody has ever said no when I offered to to put them in their prayer journal. (laughs) One of my friends, a colleague, a professor, actually, when I said, you know, I'm going to put you in your prayer journal, she called me back and she said, what do you mean prayer? How do you know God hears you? Why would he listen to you? And I was like, let me tell you about Jesus and how we have access to the Father. It was this beautiful gospel presentation because I said, I'm going to put you in the prayer journal. I love that. I mean, do it. What's prayer? Why does it work? How do you know God hears you? It's that inspiring awe, like you were saying earlier. How else have you experienced that inspiring awe or... Oh, awe. Well, first of all, I have to tell you, the research on awe is amazing. Tell us. It's just the most joy. Okay. So if you're in a conversation and you get to marvel or experience awe your depression levels, anxiety levels, and sense of loneliness immediately decrease. So if you and I were looking up at the night sky and I said, oh my gosh, Elizabeth, did you see that shooting star? We would feel closer if we were depressed. That would decrease and our anxiety would decrease. So one of the ways I do it with my mentor, we practice what's called awe walks, which is what the research shows. You go on a walk for the purpose of marveling. We literally make it a point to look at new flowers, if we see animals, if we see anything cool in the nature. So number one, nature's the way to do it. The second way to do it is notice divine activity. Mm. So this morning, a professor called. I was like on the phone all morning. I don't know what was going on with my morning. A professor called and she was like, you'll never believe what happened. I lost my water bottle, my beloved water bottle. And I was at the thrift store buying something for my daughter and my water bottle was there. Someone had donated my water bottle and I was able to find my water bottle. And I was like, that is a divine moment. I was like, that seems like God like sees you, loves you, protected that water bottle. And I love doing that because as a Christian, when people say, oh, it was a coincidence or can you believe that happened? I'm like, look, that seems like God saw you and God arranged something on your behalf. And then one of my friends who's not a believer, she said to me, Heather, how do you always notice things like that? Do you really believe God like arranged that? How do I 
see God's work in my life. So just notice divine activity. So number one, nature. Number two is divine activity that gets you in a place of awe. Number three is just continue to be curious about any phenomenon, anything you're learning, because it's so beautiful. In fact, there's this famous quote in a book about King Arthur where the king is really depressed and he goes to Merlin and says, what's the solution? And Merlin says, when you're sad, the solution is to learn something new Hmm. and get your brain excited about something you're learning. So learning, nature, divine activity. That's awesome. I love how your neighbors can tell that you care about the things that they care about, whether it's their depression or their their water bottle. Yeah. (laughs) You're communicating that. And then that communicates that God cares about their depression or their water bottle or whatever it is. That's true. But I don't know about you guys. You look young and beautiful. (laughs) As I get older, my memory isn't that good. So I know it sounds really like clinical, but I do take notes in my journal so I can remember what people say, like if there's an upcoming surgery or if someone's struggling with their daughter and I remember to ask about it the next week. So if you're going to ask someone what their major stressors are, you might want to write it down so you can ask about it later. Yeah. And it means so much because nobody does that. So it's so powerful. We always say the bar is set so low and we love a low bar. It's like, that's power right there. It is power. So I'd love to hear more about like how you got started with getting to know your neighbors and kind of what did you do to help kind of start fostering those relationships and then any other kind of fun, exciting things that have been happening in your neighborhood or with your neighbors or stuff you've tried, like events, like we talk about how like we almost need an excuse to get to know your neighbor because the culture is so like, hey, don't talk to me. I don't talk to you. So a little event or a little activity helps provide that excuse to begin getting to know your neighbors. How did you get your start? And maybe what are some of the things you tried? I honestly got my start because of loneliness. So even if you're not feeling lonely, just think about it's no accident where you live. There's a divine reason why God has you there. And to think about yourself being an agent of blessing and proclamation. First of all, that's going to give your life a lot of purpose and excitement when you wake up. But the best advice I can give is something my husband said. He said, Heather, stop doing things for people and start doing things with people. That's good. So I looked at my life and I thought, well, what am I doing during the day that I can invite people into? So I started the Walk to School campaign which was so fun. We made it a mission, you know, let's walk to school every day. When we do 100 days, you know, let's make t-shirts or something. Oh, that's fun. And then we, yeah, we were already making pancakes every Saturday. So for years, we invited the neighbors over for Saturday morning pancakes because we were already flipping hundreds of pancakes. You know, why not add a thousand more pancakes? If we, one year, we were watching American Idol. It's a big commitment to watch some of these shows. And I was like, well, why don't we invite people over So think about like what you're already doing. Now, when the girls got older, this becomes like a seek the Lord. The Holy Spirit's our source of like wisdom and counsel. I prayed for several years like, okay, now that my girls are older, I can't walk them to school. You know, nobody's watching TV with me. What do I do? And so we had this idea of inviting all the neighbors over for soup night on Monday night after work. They pop in, they grab a bowl of soup. We called it soup and story because they would say, what can I bring? And we would say, just bring a story about your day. Cool. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. We also love to just invite neighbors over, just kind of circulate through different couples. I've heard cool ideas from people like invite people over for a happy hour. It doesn't have to be alcohol, but at five o'clock on Friday, invite everyone over to your port, you know, have appetizers and, you know, fun beverages for people. What about your cider and donuts story? 
Oh, yeah. The cider and donuts. That's something we're doing with our church called Front Yard Mission. It is so wonderful. Our across the street neighbors, you know, we did this together where the first weekend in October, I think. So think about fall. We love cider and donuts. So we just told all the neighbors. We also have a Facebook group for our street, a private Facebook group, but you could go around and put little invitations on their door. We just said, come out 8 a.m., coffee, cider, donuts. Okay. 45 neighbors came with their kids. Go get more donuts quick. (laughs) And it wasn't the parents. It was the teenagers and the little kids. And we put out tons of camping chairs and they just sat and sat and sat. And because I had written about how to have better conversations, I didn't feel nervous connecting with these teenagers. I was like, okay, tell me about your friends. Tell me what you're involved in this year. What kind of support do you need from the neighborhood? So that is a great idea. You also connected with some neighbors from a very different worldview at that time, right? Oh, yeah. You're so good. I can't believe you remember this. Yeah, we have people on our street that would be, I don't know what you want to call them. They One of them is a medium. So she actively is contacting the dead and she claims she has you know, a special gift of healing. That's where believing the best really mattered because she came out and you know, normally I would think, you know, this is someone I need to reject, condemn, you know, run away from. This is dangerous. And I thought, wait, this is Jesus would not be this way. He's not nervous about things like this. He I don't need to worry. So I just started asking questions. How long have you been a medium? Does it make you tired after you seek the dead all day? I mean, I just asked really meaningful questions. And then I found out she was hosting two famous mediums in her house that weekend. So instead of saying, I don't want to be with you, this is wrong. I said, well, do you guys want donuts? And she took a box. of. I was like, okay, this opens the door. So now every time she's outside, we talk. She knows I'm a Christian. I'm able to talk to her about my perspective. You know, I'm learning more about spiritual warfare. But yeah, I don't know why God put me on a street with the mediums, but I got to be open to how God wants to use me in their life. And I can't be used in their life if they think I just hate them. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe people disagree. Maybe you guys have other thoughts about that, but that's just where I am right now. I love that story because I, in my heart, if I was interacting with a neighbor like that, in my heart, I would want to show warmth and empathy and curiosity and love. But like in my head and like my emotions, it'd be easy to freeze. Like, it's like, oh my gosh. And it's like, they're like, yeah, we're mediums. I'm like, cool. And it's like, wait a second. That's good chat. Good chat. It's like, no, no, no. But the conversations and the questions I could just see it being a great, like, it would kick in and be like, okay, I can ask a good question. I know which direction to go and get my bearings. I'm curious, like, and it doesn't have to be, maybe what you weren't feeling this with the mediums, but like in our culture right now, there are a lot of things that can trigger us and cause emotions. Like you see a different political yard sign or... Well, that conversation could have been triggering. And that conversation could have been triggering. Like, what do we do with those emotions when when they come up and we're feeling either angry or anxious or fearful. And yet we want to ask a question, but like their position, their view, who they are is really getting us kind of like worked up emotionally. How can we kind of hold those two things or what do we do there? Well, two things have helped me. The first is to get out of the realm of argument and stay in the realm of storytelling. So I say, hey, I can tell you care so passionately about this candidate. I would love to know the story about how you Mm. connected with, you know, tell me the story about how you began to care about this so much. I do that with my students. I do that with people who have completely different lifestyles for me. I'll just say, okay, I need to know the story here. Tell me, you know, and then it keeps it. Your brain is then in a responsive brain state and you're out of the realm of political argument. 
The second thing that God's been teaching me is we tend to think that people are the enemy. And someone said something to me that people are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. And that really went deep into my heart. I was like, you know, scripture says our battle is not against flesh and blood. And I was like, well, why am I hating people? Why am I thinking, you know, what if I took this to a whole nother level and just talk to people as if they were beloved children of God, tried to figure out about their life and not believe my job was to condemn and to hate and persuade people. I do believe in like public protest. And I do believe that there are people called to debate in the public arena. But when you're talking about connecting with neighbors, just get the story. And honestly, sometimes you find you guys have very similar core values. My husband regularly goes out with our neighbor. They have zero in common. They believe nothing alike, nothing, not one thing. And yet they are good friends. They respect each other. They continue to go out to talk about each other's worldviews. Which is so rare, but it's so enriching because that's the word that we use about what we've experienced with our neighbors is just how enriching it is to have people in your life who don't see things the same way that you do. And yes, you're praying for them and ultimately you want them to know Jesus, but you also realize you can benefit so greatly from their friendship, from their wisdom in different areas. So it's very important. If you think my goal here is connection, it's not to win an argument. Maybe that will help us. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's hard, though. I mean, think about the next couple months, all the political debates, everything happening. I mean, this is timely for us, I think. But it is hard. It is hard. I got to have Christ's love control me. But these are things I'm still learning because I have a lot of strong opinions, as most people do. So... So when you're in a conversation with someone and it does feel like you're maybe getting stuck, what comes to your mind from what you wrote? Where do you go? Well, I love taking it back to things that people might really need to talk about other than their political ideology. For example, one time I asked, hey, let me know how you've been sleeping. How is your sleep? What's happening when you sleep? I learned more about melatonin, lavender, ASMR. (laughs) Talk about how people's bodies are doing. Like when people are getting older, you can say like, is there anything that hurts? Like, let's talk about our bodies. I mean, you don't always have to be in the realm of ideas. That's again, the cognitive. You have five other pathways of connection. People love to talk about their families, their friends, home improvement projects. So I would do that. I would stay out of the cognitive category and get more into the physical. And what are some of the ways that you've been blessed by engaging in some of these conversations and building these relationships, maybe specifically with your neighbors? Well, what I couldn't believe was after you do this investment, sometimes we think, oh, I'm doing all the work, like they get this warm connection with me. But then as soon as you are in crisis or need something, you're going to see the fruit of everything that you've sown into people's lives. So I had emergency kidney stone surgery I couldn't believe the number of people that were at my doorstep with like meals and, you know, asking about it. I just dropped my daughter off at Penn State. We're empty nesters. I have so many people calling, checking up on me, inviting Ash and me places. And so I'm just so blessed by the invest. Like when you make your life about warm connections, you're just going to feel so much blessing. And then also I love evangelism. So you get to talk to people about Jesus and see God doing amazing things in the lives of people when you make warm connections with them. You had said that your favorite pathway is the cognitive one for conversation. So we're just curious, what have you been thinking about recently? Which you said you love to be asked. (laughs) Or any like research or next project that's on your mind. What have you been thinking about? 
Well, two things I'm thinking about. I've been really reading a lot about prayer and people who take spiritual retreats. And I've not really ever done that in my life where I've gone away for an entire weekend. So I'm thinking about spiritual retreat and what it means to have lots of times of solitude with the Lord and how to ask questions of the Holy Spirit about next steps. So I'm thinking about taking a spiritual retreat. By spiritual retreat, do you mean silent retreat? No, I just mean getting away. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess it would be silent. Unless mealtimes you gather with people to talk. But in Pennsylvania, there are so many cool little cabins on the lake. You can go to a monastery, has a free retreat center. Something about that. The second thing is, I wrote a book for middle grade, you know, middle schoolers called This Seat Save. That's the fictionalized account of Seated with Christ. And one thing I'm thinking about is I love this age group so much. I did not understand how much I love middle schoolers. <laughs> so I've been thinking about writing a sequel to This Seat Saved, but I just don't know yet what that story would be or what I don't know exactly the direction I want my life to take in terms of my writing life. So I've been thinking a lot about, okay, what am I going to write next? Is it going to be for fiction? Is it going to be nonfiction? I don't know. Are you guys writers? Do you think about these things like writing projects? Yeah. So we wrote our first book was called Place for a Purpose, which you were. Oh, that's right. Of course. Yeah. When you were talking about how your address is not an accident and you've been placed intentionally by God. That's kind of the premise of that book. It's a neighboring primer, so to speak, that helps people kind of dip their toe in the water and gives them the big picture of neighboring, but also some postures and practices. And then this spring, our next book is going to come out on Neighborhoods Reimagined, How the Beatitudes Inspire Our Call to Be Good Neighbors. I love that. That's awesome. I guess to wrap up, what would you say to a listener who hears this conversation, they're inspired, they don't really know any of their neighbors, there's really no community, they want to get the book and read it. How do they start? What would you tell them to do just to get started? You know, one thing is to read the chapter on the four mindsets, because it doesn't matter how many skills you have and great ideas. If one of those mindsets is missing, it's not going to go well. So it's really Christian discipleship too. Like, are you good at expressing concern and sharing your life, all of those? So I would start with that and then do something that you want to do that brings you delight and invite people into that. It could be like a book club. It could be shopping. It could be gardening together. Just think of something you like to do and invite people into that. And then my husband taught me to notice what other people like to do and invite yourself (laughs) into what they're doing. That's how he became a woodworker. And that's how I became a basketball fan. I was like, you know what? These people love basketball. I'm going to get into this. And now I'm obsessed. I'm like a huge Penn State basketball fan just because I was like, well, what do other people like to do? And I'll join in what they like to do and learn. Also, Ashley is a woodworker. Yeah. His best friend is a Buddhist woodworker. And he deliberately did that. You know, he joined in with his woodworking and became an apprentice to build that friendship. And they still get together every week. And he is now a woodworker. He makes wonderful things. Thank you, Heather, for being with us, for sharing your time. I feel encouraged, have vision and practical skills and steps that we can use and hopefully our listeners can use to begin getting to know their neighbors better, having those conversations, warm connections, and ultimately hoping to have those spiritual conversations, those conversations about the deeper things in life. So thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. This is wonderful. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Heather. Thanks for tuning in. Leave us a comment with your thoughts on today's episode or let us know other topics related to neighboring you want to talk about. Or follow the link in the show notes to share a neighboring story with us 
Tell us what you're trusting God for in your neighborhood and how you're seeing God at work. You can also follow Placed for a Purpose on Instagram, and you can help others find us by leaving a review, subscribing, and sharing this episode with a friend. Music